I first got into, uh, got into ministry, I was working as an engineer in Sykes, Missouri, and uh, God dealt with about ministry, so I quit my job, moved to Oklahoma, went to school for two years, went to another school for three years, I got on the church staff, and they called me the education director. I said, what's that? Well, you're in charge of education. Well, what kind of curriculum do we have? We don't have a curriculum. Well, we probably ought to get one, you know. And so we went through that mess, and uh, by that time I had five kids. We were dropping babies like rainwater out of heaven. Because <laughs> I wanted a big family. I wanted a chunk of kids. I don't want to grow by myself. I want somebody to take me to dinner on Sunday. I want somebody to send me on a cruise. I want somebody to buy me a Winnebago. And I'm very serious. You can ask any of my adult kids. I'm very serious. I told my kids, you owe me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, you owe me. I birthed you, bathed you, taught you how to talk and walk, how to pass algebra, diagram a sentence, get a date for the prom. I got you in the college. I got you out of college. I paid for your wedding, paid for your honeymoon, bought your first car. Ho, ho, ho. I'm like Santa Claus stuck upside down your chimney. But after that, at every wedding, at every wedding I held my hand out, I told my kids, put your door key in my hand. And don't you ever come back to my house unless I invite you. Now, I love you. I got the canceled checks to prove it. But the whole goal of having babies is to train them up and give them back to God. All children are on loan from God. They're just temporary. And uh, I remember one of my daughters one time, my oldest daughter, she was so well-educated and just so well-spoken. But I heard her tone of her voice one day in the kitchen. I thought, what did she just say? So I went in my family room in the kitchen. What did you just say to your mother? She said, that's between mom and me. Oh, no, no. See, mom and I, we're forever. You're just passing through. You talk to her, you're talking to me. What did you say? She said, I said, I'll do that when I'm out of here. I said, well, honey, that's been the goal since you left your mother's womb. I thought you were going to stay and go to college. If you're ready to go, praise God, let's go get your suitcase, get you packed up. So I went upstairs, got the suitcase, came downstairs, threw it open to the kitchen table. I said, now what can we put in here? But I stared at her and said, well, I own everything you got on, so you're going buck naked if you go right now. And what can you drive? Because I got four vehicles in the driveway. I got eight people and all of us are driving. I said, what can you drive? So I own all the cars in the driveway. So if you're going out, you're going barefoot and buck naked. I'd recommend you stick around and get your degree and leave with a job. And she did. It worked out real good. Parenting is not all it's cracked up to be. Uh, yeah, amen. God has a wacky sense of humor. In Genesis 2, God told Adam and said, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, take dominion, subdue. Well, he messed up and got fired from his job, evicted from his house. Kids started killing one another. And then it went downhill from there until you get to the middle of the Bible. Uh, Silent night, holy night, we through kings of Orient are. And that changed everything. Some people look forward to it by faith. We look back on it by faith, but it's still faith that gets it done. And so today, people ask all the time, so you think this is a good time to have kids? I said, this is the greatest time of human history to have kids. There's never been a better time to be a parent than now. We are living in the last days. God said in Acts 2, in the last days, he had poured out his spirit on all flesh. Our sons and daughters would prophesy, dream dreams, have visions. There's never been a better time to be a parent than right now. And people always say, well, what's going on? Listen, hell's been on this planet since the first family. It's all in the book. 
volume two's not coming out. God's hanging with volume one. You go ahead and read it. It's not going to change. And so, first thing, well, everybody went stupid. So we get down to Noah and the flood. And God said, that's it. I'm going to drown every stinking one of them. Build me a boat and I'll save you and your family. I'm going to drown everybody else. And he did. They made a movie about it. It didn't go too good, but. And then all of a sudden the boat landed, they repopulated theirs, we get down to the Tower of Babel. Old Nimrod's going to build a tower to heaven, and everybody believed it, and God looked down and said, look at it, they've gone stupid again. So one day God, because everybody spoke the same language, it's hard for us to imagine, but everybody spoke the same language. Well God looked down one day and said, that's it, they've gone stupid again, I'm going to confuse their languages. So somebody looked at somebody and said, hey, hand me another brick. And somebody said, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> spit that out of your mouth, hand me another brick. And they started throwing bricks at each other and they didn't finish the tower. Well, we're coming to strike three. There's an Antichrist. I believe he's already alive on the planet. He can't come to fruition yet because the church is still here. This is what we call the church age. This is our time. This is our moment. This is the greatest day of human history. God's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. It's a great day. But if you're not in the Bible, if you're not in church, if you're not in fellowship with the saints, you don't believe that. You believe, it's bad. It's bad. This is bad. My wife left me. My boss fired me. My dog bit me. <laughs> and everybody's singing a sad song. But if you're in a local church sitting under a godly pastor in fellowship with the saints, you're excited. I live in the greatest day of human history. There's never been a better day to get married than now. I've got a big family, and I'm the only preacher in the bunch. And my dad had 12 brothers and sisters. My father had 12 brothers and sisters. I'm the only preacher. And so, hell lands, the phones light up. And this brother Joe, it's just Joe, but no, brother Joe, you got a minute? I said, sure. And I said, what do you think is going on? I said, well, nothing. Devil's messing stuff up, but it's fine. God's still on the throne, and God's moving like a freight train. But are you looking for him? You've got to be looking for God. God likes to be chased. God said, you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. You ask me a question, I'll answer. You seek me, I'll see if you find me. You knock on the door, I'll open it. You stare at me, I'll stare back. God's only moved by one thing, it's called faith. Without faith, we cannot please God. Without faith, we can't whip the devil. So, we live in the greatest time of human history, but it still takes faith. What's faith? Just believing what's in the Bible. You know, he put it in print. Just got to read it and believe it. So, everybody this morning is dealing with something. The devil's an equal opportunity hater. He hates everybody the same. You don't have to sin to make the devil hate you. He's going to hate you the minute you leave your mother's womb. I mean, that's why uh, there's so much hell that lands. You know, if baby's nice and warm, mother's womb gets pushed out. First minute, man, it's cold out here. <laughs> you know, then somebody slaps you on the backside. Whoa. And then, you know, you're trying to get something to eat. You know, hopefully mama's got some milk. And, uh, and then you realize I'm being tossed around everywhere and people are sticking their dirty fingers in my mouth. And the oohing and cooing and flashing light bulbs in my face. I'm like, leave me alone, I want to take a nap. And that's the entrance into life. <laughs> but, but if you're a believer, it's going to be an exciting life. So, um, I got an uh, odd scripture I've pulled out of context many times, but I like it. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. God's tried to have a people since day one. 
They sin, they repent, they sin, they repent, they sin, they repent. When they sin, hell shows up. Then after a few years of hell, we're sorry, God, they repent, God forgives them, restores them. Well, Israel's been sinning for 400 years. They've been in the land of Egypt. It's a mess. Pharaoh's taken over and they're stomping in mud and making bricks and it's bad. So they cried out to God, we need help. He said, all right, I'll help you. I've been waiting on you to ask me. So what happened was he had a woman get pregnant that afternoon. <laughs> God moves slow sometimes. We need some help. Well, this lady's going to get pregnant and nine months later she's going to push the baby out. But then the devil's going to know something's going on. Too many angels are flapping wings. Something's going on. The devil's not a... He's a fallen angel. He can't read your mind. He can list your mouth, but he can't read your mind. So keep your mouth shut. Oh, that was good. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, the devil demon possesses Pharaoh. He's going to kill every Jewish boy two years of age and under. Because he knows something's going on. And God told him in the garden, one day I'm going to come in the flesh and I'm going to take this back. So from day one, the devil knows God's going to show up one day. So he's got to start killing man off. So all of a sudden... Uh, they make a law going to kill all these baby boys. So mama hides the baby in a basket, floats down the river. Pharaoh's daughter couldn't have babies, but they didn't know that. They didn't have tabloids yet. Nobody knew that. She couldn't have a baby. When she finds this baby floating by, she picks it up and says, I'll tell everybody this is my baby. Well, Moses' mother walks up and says, I see you've got a baby. Who are you? Well, I'm a mother and I've lost my baby. She wasn't lying. I've lost my baby, but my breasts are full of milk. I'll be glad to nurse that baby for you. So Pharaoh's daughter hires Moses' mother to nurse maid him. God's got a wacky sense of humor. And then Pharaoh spends the next 40 years training up Moses to rule the known planet. Well, then Moses finds out who he is. He runs off the desert, comes back, an 80-year-old man. Oh, he's got this stick, but it was a great stick. If Walmart sold these sticks, they'd sell out all the time. <laughs> great stick. And you know the story. So anyhow, the 10 plagues, and they're going to split the Red Sea. So they're coming, they're coming to the Promised Land, and they're about to enter in. And so there's a lot of stuff going on. And so on the way there, verse 17 of Exodus 13, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now I've studied my Bible for a lifetime. I never saw that, that verse. What's God doing? He's going to take the long way around. Why? I know my kids, they're not ready to fight yet. I'm going to get them ready, but they're not ready yet. If they face a battle, they'll turn around and they'll hightail it back to Egypt. We don't want to go to Egypt. We've been there 400 years as a slave. I'm trying to produce a people, a great people that's going to make everybody jealous. I'm going to let you live in the houses you did not build. Eat from vineyards you did not plant. I'm trying to bless your socks off so the world will ask you about the hope that's in you. Say, it's all God. It's not me. It's not my IQ, not my GPA. It's all God. I'm blessed because there's a God who loves me. I didn't earn a thing. It's all God. And that's what God's been looking for since day one. So, when I wrote this book, now I got a publishing company. Uh, Stumble Up Publishing, I own it. I own my own company, and that's really good. Because before I owned my own company, uh, I got 10 cents on the dollar for every book I sold. And that's not much. 10 cents on the dollar, that means my publishing company got 90 cents on the dollar, and I got 10 cents on the dollar. As my wife said, Joe, your publishing company's laying up money for their grandchildren, you're not laying up money for yours. 
good idea. So we got our own company now. So now I get 80 cents on the dollar. And so because of that, I'm able to do things I normally couldn't do. Because uh, we got a great ministry, we go all over the place, but my publishing company enables me to go places I normally couldn't go. Uh, for example, we, we were in, uh, where was that at in Illinois? That little old town in the middle of nowhere. I can't even remember the name, it was in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> the hotel was 31 miles away in a town that only had one hotel. And so, uh, so they invited me up, so I finally drive to this little town, and it's not in the town, it's two and a half miles outside the town. And it wasn't even a real town. It's in the country. So I drive two and a half miles, and I'm looking for this church because I go wherever I get invited. So I try not to just, I don't just do the big church. I, do the, I stick the little ones in because I like to go where I get invited. So I drove past it three times. I thought, man, I'm going to be late. Where's this church at? Well, it was on a hill. And I came back by and said, well, here's a dirt road. I'll drive up this road. And I drove up this dirt road, and when you top the top of the hill, there sit the church. I thought, well, that's an odd place to put a building. So I go in, and pastors wonderful, had a great crowd. And so I said, why don't you put the building? Well, this was a, this was a golf course uh, that went belly up years ago. And, and some farmer bought the land, dozed all the, all the golf course down and planted corn on it. But they left the building, so it's been sitting there empty. So I found the building, and I started a church here. So we got people that drive these little towns. They come to church, and it was awesome. And so I said, I like this. But I couldn't do that if I didn't have the publishing company. And then next weekend, we're going to Uly, Florida. Whoa. I love going to Uly, Florida. Uly, Florida's in the middle of nowhere, too. You drive in the middle of nowhere, and then you go from there into nowhere else. And the, <laughs> they don't have a parking lot. They have, they have old, old uh, uh, sheeling uh, tiles from the roof that own their parking lot so you don't sink in the mud and the sand. So the product's paid with, with tiles from the roofs. It's a great church. And so we're going to Uly, Florida next weekend because I can do that because I got a publishing company. And so every time you buy one of my books, you're helping me do things I normally couldn't do. So I tell people, you got a book, buy two more and give them away to somebody. Because they're all real good. Because my board doesn't let me write anything stupid. Because I had stupid books when I first started the ministry. And they said, Joe, that's a stupid book. <laughs> I'm not like, making this up. Mitch knows. So, well, I guess I need to get that off the table. Yeah, that's a stupid book. And so we weeded out the bad books. Now we only have good books now. So we're writing even better books. So it's going really good. So with that in mind, in the opening part of this book, <laughs> This is good. It's called Successful Children is the Goal. This is just the opening page. So, Psalms 112, verse 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, delights his commandments. His children will be mighty everywhere. Well, I want to know about, I want my kids to be mighty. I don't want to have a bunch of thumb sucking, do nothing children. The goal of having babies is to train them up and get them out of the house. I love you. We have great birthdays, Christmas, and parties, and celebrate. But the goal is to grow you up and get you out of here. Leave. Go. Stay gone. <laughs> Proverbs, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child the way they should go when they're old they won't depart from. Children have to be taught and they have to be trained. So that's a parent's job. We had a baby. Well, it's just about to get started. <laughs> Whoa. Everybody shows up and you have a baby. They all show up and take pictures and flash bulbs and stick their nasty fingers in their mouth. And then they leave. 
And they don't show up until they get out of high school. So the next 18 years, you're on your own. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 6-7. It said, I command you, teach these laws to your children. Repeat them again and again. When you get up and you go to bed, when you walk down the way. Teach your children the Word of God. So all of a sudden you start realizing, I got a job to do. I'm supposed to teach my kids the Word of God. Feeds the six, one through three. Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise that it will be well with you and you live long on the earth. I want my kids to live long and I want it to be well with them. What do they need? They need the Word of God. The most critical thing you'll ever do as a parent is teach your children the Word of God. Well, children don't want to hear the Word of God. Oh, sit down. People are going to have Bible study. Oh, not now, not now. And so I taught the Word of God on the way to school every morning. I kept Bibles in my suburban we live 31 miles from school. We're way out in the country, in the middle of nowhere. So I, mile and is a dirt road. We get to the main highway. I pull out. I got six kids in the back of my suburban. I said, what, what day is it? It's the 18th. Proverbs 18, chapter 18, read the first three verses. Dad, I got to do my homework. Dad, I got to put on my makeup. I've yelled. I have literally yelled. I'll pull this suburban off the side of the road. I'll sit here until Jesus comes. You read the first three verses. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. Fine, fine. They'd yell first, then they'd throw the Bible and hit their sister with it. Dad, they hit me with the Bible. Read the next three verses. Shut up and read the next three verses. Well, there's always one kid that got up on time, had their makeup on. Well, and the Lord said, you know, and everybody hated that. <laughs> so, anyhow. Colossians 3, 20 21. Children, obey your parents, the Lord, for this pleases God. Parents, do not aggravate your children, or they'll become discouraged. I don't want to discourage kids. I like this. Uh, Psalm 78, God commanded the children of Israel to teach your children to the fifth generation. I command you to teach your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, and if you live long enough, your great-great-great-grandchildren. God said, somebody's got to teach them. Your neighbor's not going to teach them. Your grandparents aren't going to teach them. Your job's to teach your children the Word of God. Why? It's the only offensive weapon they possess. They're on an alien planet. Satan's the god of this world. He steals, kills, and destroys. John 10, 10. We live in a messed up place, but we're behind enemy lines. But we're like special forces. We are, we're setting captives free. We're giving water to the thirsty, food to the hungry, helping orphans, helping widows. We have a full-time job. We'll never be laid off. So when you start teaching on parenting, people say, well, I just want nice children. I don't want nice children. I want children to scare hell when they get up in the morning. I want the devil to break in the cold. Oh, dear God, they're up. Yes, they are, big boy. Looking for you. Looking for you. I want you to do something in life. I want you to find somebody to serve, somebody to help. Jesus told you when he's talking to one of the great sermons in Matthew. He said, you want to be great in my kingdom? Well, yes, we do, Lord. Then you need to become the servant of everybody else. We live in an upside-down pyramid. You want to be great? Find how many people you can serve. The ones that are great in my kingdom are the people that serve the most. And so we don't think of that way in our society. We think you're somebody if you're in charge of everybody. No. No, you're somebody in the kingdom if you serve everybody. So, as a parent, I won't have my kids learn how to serve. I like this. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his grandchildren. Woo! 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Children were not to lay it for the parents, but parents are to lay it for the children. What? Yeah, I'm supposed to lay it for my kids. Now, I hated that first one when I first read it. We're supposed to also lay up for my kids. Lay up what? Well, I got stuff. So I had a, my kids actually got mad at me a few years ago because I uh, had a huge life insurance policy. I've always traveled, uh, started traveling. I want to make sure if something happened to me and I went stupid, my wife would be able to take care of my kids and 
my grandkids been pay for everything, pay for the house. I carried a massive policy. And so, well, they all grew up. They got jobs. They got out of college, got degrees, they all got jobs. All eight of my nice kids are out of college, got, got great jobs. L- love Jesus, you know, like, but they're not perfect because there are no perfect parents, there are no perfect kids, but they're good ones. And so we were talking, I said, you know, we're spending a lot of money on that life insurance policy. What are we doing it for? I don't remember. <laughs> well, I think we're doing it for the kids. Well, they got their own jobs now. Yeah, we, got a, we, we don't need that. And so <laughs> I canceled that policy. It made a lot of kids mad. <laughs> you canceled that policy? Yeah, we just, I just walked in and signed a piece of paper. And I got a lot of cash every month. I don't have to pay out anymore. I now put it in my pocket. And so somebody's going to get a message on this today. But once you become adults, you're responsible for you. I'm not your mommy anymore. I'm not your daddy. I'll always be your father. Your mother will always be your mother. But we're not your mommy and daddy. Go get a job. Get a place to live. Buy your own car. Pay your own bills. Become an adult. We call that being an adult. Oh, that was deep. <laughs> I found this story years ago, and I really like this story. It's a true story. Um, the value of Christian training. 1874, the state of New York had a terrible problem. The prisons were overcrowded in 1874. 1874. Mm. So they hired a guy named R.A. Dugdale to do some research. He came back with a fascinating report. I, I'm assuming Dugdale was a Christian. I can't find out if he was, but I assume he was. He did a study of two families and their descendants over some six generations, over a 100-year period. First half of the report was a family named Jukes. Both Max Jukes and his brother married sisters. According to the report, neither one of them believed in Christian training. That's what Doug Dale wrote. They had 1,026 descendants because of their lifestyles. 300 of them died young. Many suffered poor health. Among the descendants, 140 served an average of 13 years each in prison. 190 were confirmed public prostitutes. 100 were alcoholics. Over a 100-year period, this family cost the state of New York $1.2 million. That is an expensive family. The second half of the report was a family named Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, if you remember, some of you might know this, was a preacher back years ago. Great preacher. Married a girl of like belief. I guess that means she's a Christian too. Well, Edwards and his wife had 729 descendants. Of those 729 descendants, 300 were preachers. 65 were college professors, 13 were university presidents, 60 were authors, 3 were congressmen, 1 served as vice president of the United States. What happened? Somebody trained and somebody didn't. Somebody trained and somebody didn't. We're supposed to train up the next generation. I'm not a perfect parent. And that's why I got to teach on parenting years ago because nobody in my church would teach it. I was in a church of 3,000 people, Pastor Mitch. We, we were there. We were there when it was happening. Three th- and nobody would teach on parenting. Why? Well, I don't have perfect kids. Nobody has perfect kids. It's a wide open door. Just go teach. And so the reason people like me, I tell the truth. What'd you do? Well, I messed up. Did some dumb stuff. A lot of dumb stuff. But I learned how to repent quick, forgive quick, repent quick, forgive quick, repent quick, forgive quick, repent quick, forgive quick. Because if you're not repenting and forgiving on a regular basis, you get what we call spiritually constipated. <laughs> Nothing's moving. <laughs> so you gotta, 
you got to stay loose and free <laughs> and not get hung up over stupid stuff. And so the, the Bible's full of God was concerned, starting with Adam and Eve. He was concerned with the next generation. The church is always one generation of being extinct. We're to pass on our faith to the next generation. The most critical thing is passing on faith to the next generation. The Bible's full of scriptures. What are you going to do? I'm going to teach and I'm going to train. I'm going to teach and I'm going to train. And if they're not my kids, I'll teach and train. And so I remember when we had the big children's ministry and teach and train, it's like, and it was a zoo. It's like, people come, oh, we want to teach children. No, you don't. You've not been around any. But we'll stick in the classroom for a few weeks. We'll, we'll burn that out of you. And so we had, a, we had a handbook. You had to read the handbook. You had to sit in the class for four weeks before we let you teach. Well, we lost half our teachers. I, I don't want to do that. I didn't think so, because it's hard. Because kids don't hug your neck. They don't put checks in your hand. They don't put cash in your hand. They're going to tell their mom they don't like you. You're a mean teacher and a bad teacher. They're going to hate you. They're going to scream. They're going to cry. And they're going to puke on you and throw up because they had bad Cheerios this morning. And you're going to go home smelly and nasty and stinky. Welcome to the ministry. Okay, here's the sermon. It's a short one. Luke chapter 2, God always had the next generation in mind. God always had the next generation in mind. So, Luke chapter 2, I thought, well, we're going to find the standard. Let's find when God came to earth as a human. Because God had a problem. He gave the planet to Adam. Adam gave it to the devil. Satan is now the legal God of this planet. Second Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is God of this planet. My family will tear me up all the time. Brother Joe, why did this happen? Brother Joe, why did God let, God let this happen? God's not, God's not in charge of nothing. God gave this planet to the devil. The devil's now in charge. God's not allowed down on here. And so that's what prayer is. Prayer is getting God involved in your life. If you're not praying, God will not show up. God's not moved out of pity. Tears don't move in. Shame doesn't move. Prayer moves God. If you're not praying, there's eight times in the New Testament, Jesus said you have not because you ask not. Ask that you jump up and be made full. So parents are going to involve you. You're going to pray a lot for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. We're going to pray for my kids all the time. What do you pray? I pray one thing. Psalm 34, 11. Father, I give you permission. Teach my children to fear you. I pray it, prayed it this morning. I'll pray it tonight. Father, teach my children to fear you. My oldest daughter's married. Got it. She's a college professor. Real smart. But I still pray. Father, teach my college-educated, college-professor daughter to fear you. For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. Knowledge and wisdom, you need both, and they both come from God. If you don't get them from God, they're worthless. So I pray every day, Father, teach my children to fear you, because that's the way out. That's the way through. That's how you're going to get blessed. People say, how would you get so lucky? There's no such thing as luck. I'm a child of God. I'm blessed and highly favored. So, God finally comes to earth, silent night, holy night, we for kings, boy, and are. You know, it's a great movie. You know, angels had to appear to Joseph several times to convince him. Well, I'm engaged this woman, and she's had sex with another man. No, the Holy Ghost impregnated her. What? 
Yeah, God, God's the Father. What? Yeah, your wife and God, they're married. It's a virgin birth. There's never been one. Never will be one again. <laughs> one time deal. Aren't you a lucky man? <coughs> we don't think about what they went through. When Jesus was an adult, he ran the family business. They owned the local Home Depot. <laughs> and all of his brothers and sisters worked for him. So when <laughs> Jesus was 30, the kids came running into the house one day. Mom. Mom, we got to do something. She's not down at the shop. People need their furniture. What do you mean not down at the shop? Well, he's in town. And there's weird stuff going on. Eyeballs are growing in. Hands are growing out. Dead people are getting up. <laughs> They're going to kick us out of the synagogue. we got to go get him. So Mary and the kids go into town to get Jesus. Well, he's 30 years old. You know, he's sitting in this house. It's packed like a sardine can. People are taking shingles off the roof to lower their friend who's crippled down so Jesus can get to them. And so all this is going on. And some guy comes to the crowd Hey, Jesus, Jesus, your mother's outside and your brother's. I want you to come out and talk to them. And Jesus said, well, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Aren't they these sitting here? So Mary heard. She went, oh, I've lost them. No, you didn't lose them. He's finding out who he is. And so three and a half years of ministry, it was really good. They made several movies about it. It's in your Bible. <laughs> so, verse 41, Jesus is 12 years old. He's gone to the He's gone to the Jerusalem 12 years in a row, four-day trip, four-day trip home. It's an eight-day festival. It ends at noon on the eighth day. Everybody gets together. They're going to go home. Typical family reunion. I, we go over to grandfather's farm up in Turtletown, Tennessee, 400 acres. We get out of the car. We're heading to the barn. We're going down the pasture. We're going to try to ride a horse and catch some fish. We don't go to the house until it's time to eat. So we scatter. So when it's time to go, hey, get in the car. Time to go. And so it's typical. So Jesus is with his cousins, got some younger brothers, two younger brothers this time. They're leaving, and I'm sure Mary's like, hey, we're gone, let's go. And so they travel in a caravan. There's no state troopers, no police, you got to travel in a caravan, protect one another. Okay, so they're going. They get four hours from Jerusalem, true story. Make camp, because there's no Coleman land. You got to make camp, no Rayback flashlight. Got to make camp, tie the camels up, get the fire going, cook dinner, and get ready for bed. Make calls, so get the boys here, it's time to eat. Two of the boys come in. Where's Jesus? Well, I holler for him. Well, go get him. <laughs> Joseph disappears. It gets dark. Fire goes out. Joseph shuts back up. Where have you been? Well, I'm in looking for Jesus. Well, get him in here. The food's cold. Well, he's not here. What? Yeah, I've been from one of the camp back twice. He's not here. What do you mean he's not here? I think we left him in Jerusalem. <laughs> we left the Son of God in Jerusalem? We couldn't have left one of these. We lose that one. What kind of father are you? What kind of mother are you? And they yelled all night. It wasn't good. Son came up the next morning. They handed the kids off to relatives. Four hours of hoofing back to Jerusalem. Jesus has been missing for 24 hours. For the next three days, they're looking for the Son of God. We got to find him. Where do you look for a 12-year-old kid? The pool hall, the movie theater, the bowling alley? Where's the 12? Hey, have you seen this kid? Well, they don't have any pictures. They're exhausted. Four days, they've lost the Son of God. Last year, just. We're going to burn in hell. We're going to burn in hell. We've lost the Son of God. And so he found it. Well, you know, we've not looked in the temple. He's not normal. And they walk in the temple, and there sits Jesus, astounding the religious leader with his questions and his answers. Mary speaks up, Son, why have you done this to your father and I? Why have you? Because when moms get mad, they always drag dad in the conversation. <laughs> why have you done this to your father and I? 
Jesus answered the King James said, No, ye not, I need to be about my father's business. I don't know about you, Mom, I have stuff I need to be doing. And the Bible says Mary was confused, but she stored those things in her heart, and they left. The last verse, verse 52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. All parenting comes out of that one verse. My whole seminar comes out of that one verse. If Jesus grew in wisdom, my children need to grow in wisdom. My children will not grow in wisdom if I don't grow in wisdom, because I'm going to reproduce who I am and what I do. Jesus grew in stature. It means he matured. He eventually grew up, didn't be watched. Because if you have an immature kid, you've got to keep one eyeball on him all the time. Where's he at? What's he doing? But when kids are mature, they don't have to be watched. Jesus grew in favor with God. What is favor with God? Well, when you get to heaven, you're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. God doesn't care what I did. God just wants to know, did I do what he asked me to do? I can't do what this person does. I can't do what Pastor Smith does. Pastor Smith's a great pastor. I don't know how to do that. I can do what I do. God's going to ask, did you do what I gifted you to do, not what I gifted him to do? Did you do what I gifted you to do? I need to be able to say, yes, I did. Then number four, Jesus grew in favor with man. There are more scriptures in your Bible on the subject of friends than they are on the subject of heaven and hell. God chose to say more about friends than he did about heaven and hell. Why? Because you'll become like who you hang around. You'll become like who? As iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. Go from the presence of a foolish man if you don't perceive him in the lips of knowledge. How do you know who to hang around? Listen to what comes out of their mouth. You want four bucket loads of that? Then get away from them. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. If they're sick, nurse them back to health. But don't spend spare time or eat lunch with them. It's in the Bible. And so we're going to go there tonight. The four things of parenting. I want my kids to grow in wisdom. So I pray every day, Father, teach my children to fear you. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I've got them covered. I said, you can't go stupid. I pray for you too much. You can't. You try, but you can't. God's going to bring you back. Judgment starts the house of God. You're going to mature. You're eventually going to grow up. Now, all kids don't grow up at the same time. Some kids don't mature by age 18. Some don't mature until they're 58. But you got to hang with them. That's depressing to some, but it's just the fact. She's going to favor with God. I want all my kids, all six, all eight of our kids, all eight, are all gifted, out of college, real smart, but no two are the same. No two are even remote. They don't have the same thumbprint. They don't have the same voice print. God's a creative God. Made all kinds of animals. Made one monkey with a fluorescent rump. <laughs> it was the days making monkeys, big monkeys, little monkeys, hairy monkeys, no haired monkeys. I think that monkey walked, come back here, God said. Bend over and he shaved his rump. <laughs> He's walking, no, come back here. And he painted it fluorescent pink. Now that's God. I'm out of time. God made the bombardier beetle. The bombardier beetle's in Brazil. Uh, looks like a hairy locust. Got two eyeballs set on stems on his head. He can look forward with one eyeball and look behind him with the other eyeball. And so he loves to eat wheatgrass. He loves to, so he's, you know, they, that's Jay Graffitt did a film on it. He's swaying in the wind eating wheatgrass. And all of a sudden, a, a big praying mantis comes behind him. Going to eat the bombardier beetle. Well, what the prayer master knows, the bombardier beetle, when he eats the wheatgrass, produces two cylinders of gas in his body, which, when released at the same time, produces a three inch flame. (laughs) 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 
Next you have got the praying mess, got the bot down the back of that mom and her bed, and went, and the praying mantis's head disappeared. Burn it right off. Now, if God did that with an insect, what do you think he did with us? There are no humans, no two humans that's been with the same thought, the same attitude, the same gift. We're all different, but God brings us together. So, with all of our differences, isn't it good to be in the family of God? We're here because God has placed us here. We're the most powerful thing on this planet, the local church. There is nothing more powerful than us. We are what's happening. It's not what's on the news. The news didn't happen. That's all lies. We're what's happening. We're the truth. We're the light. We're the salt. We are what's happening. So let's stand up. Everybody bow your head. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Father, we pray today if we're blinded in any area, take that blindness from our minds and lighten the eyes of understanding. Put us in the middle of your will in the body of Christ in the last days. Put us where it pleases you. We thank you for doing that in Jesus' name when everybody said. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for 60 seconds. Nobody moving, nobody looking for it, just one short minute. Two questions. Are you here this morning? He said, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never, ever asked him into my heart. But I think God's been dealing with me, and I'd like to do something about that this morning. Well, if that's you, I'd like to pray a 30-second prayer out of Romans over you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. If that's you, in a few seconds, I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand, wave it at me, and put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. All things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. Or perhaps you hear today and say, Joe, I'm saved. I just haven't been living for God lately. But I've been stirred this morning. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. Well, if that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer out of Romans. We're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. He'll take your sin as far as the east as from the west. He'll put it in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sin in heaven, and God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from you. It will never get easier than this. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, say, Joe, that's me. I need to get born again this morning. Would you pray that prayer over me? And Joe, that's me. I need to rededicate my life. If that's you on either count right now, would you simply just get your hand up and wave it at me and put it right back down? Joe, pray for me. I want to know I'm right with God. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Never get easy this. God does the saving. God does forgive me. All he needs is our permission. All right. Hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. I've seen two hands go up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to help them pray. Everybody in here, we're going to say this together. God's about to do the two greatest miracles he can do. He's going to save souls and forgive sins. So people, everybody say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me. And you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith. With thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the two hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a simple reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to your holy word, 
and their obedience is right now they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. Father, they're your sheep. You're their shepherd. They're going to hear your voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Lord, as they lead today, surround them with divine favor. May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And Father, bring godly friends into their life that will strike out and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. 